All right. Well, uh, I'm going to set this down here. I had to have surgery back in, in May, and uh, I got my cast off just a couple weeks ago, and they are starting to let me put weight now on my foot. And so I have been hobbling all summer long, but I'm not quite hobbling as bad as I was a couple weeks ago. And uh, so it is a joy, though, to be here with you, and uh, I'm excited about our, our time together. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 40. The book of Isaiah, chapter 40, is where we're going to be this morning. I'm very thankful for your pastor. Uh, he has uh, become a good friend of mine, and I have uh, utmost respect for him. And I'm thankful for you folks that you have him here, and I'm thankful for him that he gets to shepherd this, uh, this flock that God has called him to. Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to be spending primarily time at the end of the chapter, but I want to draw your attention to the first verse because God makes it very clear what his purpose is in this chapter. He wants to make sure that we know. He makes it very clear. He grabs it in the first person. And he says, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Today I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and really come to God and realize that his desire for us is to know his peace, to know his encouragement, to know his comfort. Whatever the trial or struggle that may be going on in all of our different lives, um, the people that this is being written to, uh, God's people, the people of Israel, uh, it's really uh, their struggle as to why they are in need of comfort is perhaps far different from the reason why you are in need of comfort. But across the board, it doesn't matter. We have a God who wants his people to know his comfort and encouragement. And that's why he has given us this chapter of the Bible. And I want us to look on down towards the end. As we're going to come, we'll start in verse number 27. Verse number 27, I'm reading from the ESV this morning, and uh, I'm going to highlight a couple things in a few moments as we go through this, um, but I want us to uh, really uh, say that because a couple places where the ESV differs from the NASB, um, they're, they're, they're both obviously great, uh, just uh, a couple little things that I'll point out, um, but let me... Let me Start right here in verse 27. In the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their suffering, there are some things that they were, the, uh, that God's people were saying that Isaiah is addressing. Listen to what it says, verse number 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? And here's what they were saying. First of all, my way is hidden from the Lord. And then it says, and my right is disregarded by my God. Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Can we pray and ask God to help us as we look at this? Father, we come to you. Lord, we do need you. We need you to encourage us. We need you to um, give us your peace. Lord, your peace that goes beyond understanding. Lord, your peace that builds a garrison, a fortress around our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, um, we, uh, we need the strength and the encouragement and the comfort that can only come from the all-wise, all-knowing, sovereign God. And so, Lord, we come to you today as we spend time in your word. Lord, we pray that you will help us. Lord, we pray that you will meet with us. Lord, there are some in this room who are in great need of your comfort today. Lord, may they know your love. May they know your, your presence. May they know, uh, Lord, your heart of compassion towards them. God, may they know your comfort. In Christ's name, we ask this. Amen. Back in the early 80s, I believe it was 1981, there was a uh, Jewish rabbi named Rabbi Kushner. He wrote a book. It became a very, uh, a very popular book. I believe it was a, a, a bestseller, New York bestseller. Um, it was entitled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Very popular book. Many people read it. As this Jewish rabbi is wrestling through, uh, there is a, uh, a really some attributes of God um, that it really resurfaced again and became actually another book that was really brought to the surface after 9-11 happened. Um, this Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi Kushner, he wrestled through these two sides and parts of who the Bible, um, who he would have been a... He would have said that he was a believer in the Old Testament, but what the Bible says is true of God. And really, on one side, is that God is sovereign, that God is in control. But then on the other side, that God is a God who is loving, and a God who cares and is compassionate towards us. And Rabbi Kushner, as he wrote this book, and he wrestled through this, he came to the conclusion that they both could not be true if bad things happen to good people. If bad things happen to good people, then, then something has to give. Either, either God is indeed sovereign, but the struggle would then be that he's not good. 
or that indeed God is good and loving, and so he's not sovereign. And as he goes through the book, Rabbi Kushner actually, sadly, comes to the conclusion that God is a loving God, and that God is a God that is full of compassion and cares. But so that led him to, I'm telling you, my friend, the horrifying conclusion that God ultimately then simply must not be in control. Now, folks, I want you to know something. That book brings no comfort. What brings comfort to us is knowing that we have a God who is 100% completely in control. Nothing has ever missed his eye. Nothing has ever escaped his mind. We have a God who is in control But at the same time, my friend, we have a God who there is not a single one of us in this room who have ever even come close to being able to comprehend how much this God loves us and how much he cares for us and how much he has a heart that is full of compassion towards us. Folks, I know that our minds cannot understand events like 9-11. But we come to the scriptures not to find a God that fits our reasoning. We come to the scriptures to find a God who has declared to us who he is. And my friend, if we are going to know the comfort that only this God can bring to us, we must understand who he is. That he is a God who is in control, and yet he is a God who cares and loves us. As we pick up in verse number 27, this particular passage of Scripture, where we're picking up, starts with a couple questions that the people of God are asking in the midst of their trial. A couple questions that the people of God are asking in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their hearts breaking, in the midst of their their being overwhelmed in sorrow, we find them actually asking these very same questions. They are coming to God saying, God, and, and, and actually, Isaiah is calling them on it a little bit. Isaiah is calling them saying, why are you saying this? Why are you asking these questions? And listen to what it says as we pick back up in verse number 27. It says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Now listen to the first one. We'll say this, and then we'll, we'll stop. Here's the first statement that they were making, and really it begs a question that they're questioning God. They were saying this, my way is hidden from the Lord. The first thing they were saying is that God, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our struggle, some of the people were saying, God doesn't see us. God doesn't know. God God is not in control of our circumstances. 
our way, what is happening to us, what has happened to our nation. And people, many times, what has happened to me in my life, it's hidden from him. He doesn't know. He doesn't see. He isn't sovereign. I want us to look at the next verse as Isaiah begins to answer. Skip on down to verse 28. It says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You know what he says there? He says, in the midst of us sometimes feeling like God doesn't know what's going on, in, 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 in the moments of our lives where we say, God, have, do, have, has this, is this beyond your hand? Is this beyond your control? At those moments, we are reminded in these questions that come, have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you not seen? We have a God. He never faints. He never runs out of strength. And it says that, that his knowing and his knowledge is unsearchable. You know what that means? It means that there's no way that you and I will ever be able to understand how much he understands. All the way down to the deepest parts of who we are, the tiniest little bitty details that make up your life, God knows and he is in control. Now, this isn't new, this verbiage. Can you back up with me? to verse number 12, and look what Isaiah has already said as he is talking about our great God. He says in verse number 12, this is the, really the, the, the phrases that come uh, or have, have been taken and put into the song, Behold Our God. It says this, verse 12, Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand and marked, out, and marked off heaven with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him to understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Folks, we have a God and, and, and Isaiah is using the really the, uh, the, uh, the, the reasoning of asking these questions to show that he's saying we have a God who he's never had to go to anyone for understanding. He's never had to turn to anyone to have questions asked, answered. He's never needed to be taught the way of understanding. He is the all-wise, all-powerful, sovereign God who we just sang about just a few moments ago. It is who He is. I love as you go through this chapter, as you come down to verse number 25, I really love, um, I love when God, um, it's almost like He grabs a hold of the first person to make a statement. For the most part, Isaiah talks about God throughout this entire book. Um, and even throughout this chapter, he speaks of God in the third person. Um, he, him, speaking of God. But in verse number one, 
And then in verse number 25, you find God exploding to the forefront, grabbing the first person for himself. And at the beginning, he says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, he says. In verse number 25, he does it again. It grabs my attention. It's not that this is more inspired than other parts of, of, of what Isaiah is saying, not at all. But it is on purpose. This isn't an accident. God wanted to say this in the first person. Look what he says in verse number 25. In the midst of their doubting, remember, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their questioning, God says to them, to whom then will you liken me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Now he has just got through bringing up their idols of stone and wood and he has talked about how that they will put their trust in things that cannot stand, things that will rot. They are putting their trust, they are putting their hope, they are putting their comfort in things that will let them down. And so God really instilled challenging these, the, the, the people with, with their wrong understanding of who he is. He says, who will you liken me to? Who are you comparing me to? And then I love what he does in verse number 26. In verse number 26, he gives us an object lesson that, folks, I'm just telling you, it's over the top. In the midst of our doubting, in the midst of our struggle of whether or not God is in control, he basically says in verse 26 that God has given to us an object lesson for us to go look at every single night of our lives so that we will know that he is large and in charge. To know that he is in control and that nothing, not a single detail, escapes him. Folks, look at what it says. Verse number 26. It says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these. Now, if you're looking at a NASB, it gives it away, doesn't it? It says, who's created these stars? Continuing on, he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Folks, what, what does he say? God says, who, who are you comparing me to? Who in your mind are you, are you, or have you likened me to? He says, do this in the midst of your wondering if I really am in control. And if I really am controlling the details. He says, would you go outside on a dark night, a clear night? I used to work up at Northland Christian Camp up at northern Wisconsin. You would basically get to the end of the earth and then you'd just keep on going for another hour and a half and you'd get to Northland. It was dark. I mean, it was so dark. And uh, where, I, where we lived during those 13 summers of working at Northland was all the way down at the very, very, very farthest away from anything else. I used to love just going out on those clear nights and you just look and it's like your eyes take a minute to, to settle in, but then it's like you can see not just that initial, that initial um, uh, layer of stars, but then just that hazy uh, beyond where you can just tell. It's, you, you can't even see, but it just represents millions of stars. 
And there's so many, there's so many cool uh, uh, you know, videos you can watch and things that you can see uh, of um, presentations of people showing you know, sizes of different planets and how, how big the earth actually is and just you know, kind of blowing your mind to realize the vastness of it all. And then not only just the vastness of it, but the order of it. Like, listen to this one. Um, the, the, I don't know if you've ever done a little scientific research as to just how fast we on earth are moving. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever done a little scientific research to find out how fast we're moving? We're actually moving pretty fast, you know that? So let me, let me just kind of cruise through some numbers with you. You ready? So first of all, we know that we're spinning on our axis, right? We go uh, one full rotation. How long does it take us to make one full rotation? How long? 24 hours. Okay, good job. Uh, 24 hours, we make one full rotation. Now, now, if you're on the poles, okay, the north and south pole, it's really not, you're really not moving that fast. Basically it, basically, it takes you 24 hours to pull one of these, right? That's basically how fast you're going in 24 hours, okay, uh, because you just turn. But then if you're on the, if you're on the equator, um, do you know, how, you know how fast you're moving to make one complete rotation in 24 hours if you're on the equator? It, it, you have to travel at a speed of 1,040 miles per hour. I mean, the folks down, in, down on the equator, they're faster than we are up here. Did you know that? But they're, they're, they're literally traveling at a speed of 1,040 miles per hour on the equator in order to make one rotation in 24 hours. But then at the same time, we know that we're not just on a rotation on our axis, but then we're also, in our solar system, we're on a rotation around the sun. We're 93 million miles from the sun. One trip all the way around the sun to get back to where we are right now is actually 600 million miles. Now, how long does it take us to make that 600, mile, uh, 600 million mile trip? How long? One year, okay, 365 days. We make one complete rotation around the sun. You know how fast we're moving in order to do that? We're traveling at a speed of 67,000 miles per hour. Our Earth is. While it's spinning at 1,040, we're also moving around the sun in order to make one rotation around the sun in 365 days at 67,000 miles per hour. But then at the same time, our sun at the center of our solar system is moving through our Milky Way, our galaxy. Folks, our galaxy is humongous. You've seen pictures and, and, uh, and you can kind of see and it, it's, it, it's, it's kind of in an in a oval, but it's, it's a circle. And they say to make one complete rotation around our galaxy in our solar system as we go around the sun for our sun at the center to make one complete rotation around our galaxy. They say it'll take 250 million years. I mean, with my personal belief and understanding of the young age of the earth, I mean, it means that we've only moved like that far. But you know how fast we're moving? I mean, folks, listen, it's over the top. It's over 400 thousand miles per hour they say the sun is moving through our galaxy the milky way and then on top of that we're just one galaxy and our whole galaxy is apparently moving again i mean uh, folks this is the most conservative number i have ever found it goes way up from here but the most conservative number i've ever found is that at, that our Earth right now is, is moving at 1.3 million miles per hour. That's the most conservative I've seen. I mean, I just want you to know something, folks. We're cruising. And your hair's not even blowing. I mean, 
It's over the top. We, don't, we can't even start to wrap our brain around. I mean, and, and I want you to listen to what he says. I mean, sometimes you're just like, God, did you really have to make it that big? I mean, I mean, did he really have to make it that big? I mean, I personally don't think, I personally don't think there's like other earths out there. I just, I, I, we have no, nothing that tells us anything like that. Folks, could it be, and I believe it is, that God simply made it so big so that we would know that we have a God who's big, that he is in control. I love the statement at the end of verse number 26. It says, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. That phrase, not one is missing, is talking about, it's saying not one, talking about the stars of all the millions and billions, I don't know. Not one of them is out doing its own thing. Not a single one of them has gone rogue. Not a single one of them. They all obey his voice. And folks, can I tell you what else obeys his voice? Every single detail that touches my life and touches your life. My friend, we have a God who is in control. I want you to see, though, back in verse number 27, he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? And the first thing they were saying was, my way is hidden from the Lord. In the midst of my trouble, my pain, my suffering, God God apparently doesn't know. He doesn't see. But then listen to the next phrase, because I really believe it's different. He says this, and my right is disregarded by my God. Now, if you have a NASB in front of you, I want to I I look at this. I love what the NASB says on the first half of that. The NASB, says, if, I re, if I recall, the NASB says that what is just to me, okay? And the, 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 uh, the ESV says, and my right, okay? So what is right towards me? I like the NASB, it says, what is just to me? What, what, what is justice to me? I mean, don't we live in a day of justice? Everybody's screaming for justice, for what they feel like is right towards them. Well, listen to what the people are saying. They are saying that what is right towards me. Um, and, and here's a little bit of a discrepancy. Um, the NASB says has, somebody help me, I believe the NASB says has escaped his notice. Is that what it says? The NASB says that what is just towards me has escaped his notice. The ESV here says, and this is a very small thing, but I just want you to see as it's being translated over. The ESV says that what is right or what is justice towards me has been disregarded. And I want you to know I really, I really like that word because the old King James says has been passed over by my God. It's a... It's the same idea as this isn't an intentional, oops, he missed it. 
It is actually he has come to what is right towards me and he's come to it and he's, he's passed over it. It's intentional. It's actually the same wording in, in what you have when you're talking about the Passover. He didn't see the blood on the doorpost and it escaped his notice. He saw the blood on the doorpost and he intentionally passed over and that was a good thing. But here, same wording, he says, God, you have come to what is right and what is just towards me and you've disregarded it, God. You've come to my pain, you've come to my suffering and you've overlooked me. This isn't that God isn't in control. Folks, this is the flip side of Rabbi Kushner's struggle in his book. The people were saying, not just that, God, you're not in control. They're saying, God, you don't care. And folks, can I be really, really honest with you? I actually, I actually think if I were to be really, really honest in the midst of my trials, in the midst of suffering that has happened in my life, which in comparison to others maybe is not near as bad, I don't know. But I would say that if I fell into a category of doubt and struggle, I probably, and I think a lot of Christians are here, can actually find themselves struggling a little bit more with this one than whether or not God is in control. I grew up in Sunday school, and I grew up being taught. Man, I, I mean, I remember, I remember having quizzes on the attributes of God, and I, I remember it was pounded into me that we have a God who is sovereign. We, had a, we have a God who spoke this universe into existence. We have a God who holds all things together. The fact that God was sovereign, I just got to be honest, that was, for some people, I know it's a wrestling point for them. For me, it was never really a big wrestling point for me whether or not God was really and truthfully in control. But folks, I meet many people, and I've got to be honest, I've been there. In the middle of a struggle, God, do you really, do you really care about me right here? A girl who traveled with us um, her name was, well, it was actually a couple who traveled with us. A guy named Matt Clemens and his wife, Carol Ann Clemens, traveled with us uh, for two and a half years, married on our traveling team. And um, uh, during our Christmas break, in the middle of their third year of traveling, they uh, had a, a little one that came along. They had little Asa. He was one and a half year, uh, year, years old. Um, but over Christmas break, we all split up at Thanksgiving. We were just up in Lake Orion, had a big Thanksgiving uh, celebration together at, a, at, at First Baptist Church of Lake Orion. I did a big Thanksgiving concert. We said goodbye to each other, hugs. We'll see you back after Christmas. We split for our holiday season. We don't travel. None of us had any clue that we wouldn't see Matt again. 24 years old, he was killed in a car accident over Christmas break on December 17th. 2017. Um, Carol Ann, actually, two weeks after the funeral, she calls us up and she says, uh, I can't just sit here at my parents' house. 
She said, I just, I just, she said, she said, I'm just, I, 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 she said, I'm just spiraling. I'm in a dark hole. I, 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 I don't know what to do. Uh, she said, can I please come back on the road and travel? Can me and Asa come back on the road and travel with you guys? Um, it's pretty overwhelming. I didn't know. I said, well, let's, let's really pray. Let's talk to your parents. She just, she, she so struggled. She was missing her, her husband. She was 24 years old herself, um, one and a half year old son. And she, uh, she said, my parents know Matt. My parents love Matt, but they don't know him near as much as you guys. They're not sitting around missing Matt. They're trying to be a comfort to me. She said, I want to be with people who are missing Matt. She said, I know you guys are missing him. And so just after much prayer and seeking counsel, Carol Ann comes back on the road with us. And, you know, we just, I mean, we, we, we weren't going to dishonor Matt by, by, trying to, by, by, by not thinking about it. No, we thought about it all the time. We cried every day. I didn't know how else to lead through this trial other than just try my best to, to, to talk about Matt and love him and miss him. I'll never forget one day talking to Carol Ann, and she told me, she said, the very thing I said just a few moments ago, she said this, she said, Aaron, she said, I have never one time in the midst of this struggled with whether or not God is in control. She said, I just, I haven't struggled. I know every single event, the way she had left something at home, he dropped, he had dropped her and the baby off at church and ran back to the house two miles down the road to get it and come back and meet him for the service and never made it. She said, everything about it I know God's in control. She said, but I really, Aaron, she said, I, I really wonder, and here was her words, if he really cares about how bad I'm hurting. Folks, we have a God who is in control. But we also have a God who cares. His heart is towards us. His heart is for us. Let's look at what the passage says. It says, verse number 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint and grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. But now listen to this, verse 29. Listen to what this God who seems so big as he runs the universe he seems so big as he is holding everything together. Look at how personal this God is. He gives power. Now, the last time we were talking about his power was talking about his power in creating the universe and holding it together. He gives power to who? To those who are fainting, to those who are weak, to those who are hurting, to those who are low. He gives his power to them. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk 
and not faint. I'll never forget um, back a few years ago. Well, it was, it, was a, it was a long time ago, actually. Um, I mean, not long, long, but my daughter's now 15, and it was when she was one and a half years, uh, years old herself because it was at Easter, and she was born in September, so the coming up September, she would be two years old. I was here in Michigan on an Easter morning preaching up at a church just outside of Lansing, Michigan. And uh, after the morning service, I was back in the back. I was talking to people. I was uh, uh, meeting with, uh, uh, just standing back there beside the pastor and some other people just greeting and talking on this beautiful Easter morning. And my daughter uh, comes up, little one-and-a-half-year-old chubby Ella. Uh, She's not chubby now, but she was then. And uh, anyway... Uh, she comes waddling up with this cute little Easter dress on, and she's so excited. Someone has brought her upstairs from the nursery. The nursery was downstairs at that church and had brought her upstairs, and she has this little bunny rabbit Pez, uh, or Easter bunny Pez dispenser that somebody has given her, and she's so excited. She's got this thing, and she, she is running towards me with this little stiff-legged one-and-a-half-year-old uh, run, and she's coming at me. She's going, Dada, Dada, and she comes up to me. And, um, uh, you know, everybody's looking at her, and she's cute in her little Easter dress, and she's so excited. She knows that there's some little toy in that thing, but she's got suspicion that there is candy in that thing. And my, my, my daughter's love language at the time was sugar. And so, uh, anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm, everybody's looking at her, and she's cute, and she wants me to open this thing. So I get down uh, on, my, on my knee, and I, I'm opening it up. And, uh, and anyway, I'm, 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 I'm going to have all these little pieces of candy so I'm like, let me just stick them on in the Pez dispenser. You understand a little Pez candy dispenser. So I, I put them all in there, and she's watching the whole thing. But by the time I get done, you know what she sees? She sees the little toy. She sees the empty candy wrapper. But somehow, someway, she had seen them just a minute. She had just, she's been watching everything. But all of a sudden, the candy just is gone. And, I mean, I got the head pulled back. There's a piece of candy sticking out. But she, I mean, folks, she just goes ballistic. I mean, it was bad. We're talking, I mean, she's on the floor. I mean, we're talking weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. It was bad, all right? I mean, the people who just thought she was so cute, yeah, they're like, mm, I'm like, <laughs> you know. I, um, I mean, it was inconsolable. I mean, I, 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 I literally had to, to pick her up and, and take her to the pastor's office. He had this, it was right off the auditorium and had little love seat couch in there and a couple chairs. I'm sitting on this little couch and I'm holding her and I'm trying to reason with her and it's not really working. And um, I, I finally, when she calms down a little bit, you know, I got the little candy dispenser. I got the head pulled back, a little piece of candy sticking out. I kind of help her. We take her little fingers and we pull one off. And she's just like, oh. Total demeanor change, you know, as she pops in in her mouth. Um, you know, I'm sitting there in the, in the middle of, of Michigan, just outside of Lansing, on an Easter morning, uh, what, 14 years ago? Um, and I, I just, I just I actually just lost it. I started weeping. Because God actually was using my daughter in that little situation to show me something about myself that I didn't even realize. I was right in the middle of, um, of really the biggest trial I personally, my wife and I personally, had ever gone through up to that point in my Christian life. Um, it was deep. It was hurtful. It was hard. I didn't understand. I had so many questions. I, 
I still to this day don't understand. Um, but I remember, I remember holding my daughter, and my daughter didn't trust me. My daughter, she didn't trust me, and, and, and God used that situation to show, to show me, and it was just like God just, just sitting there. I was, I'm holding her. It's like, I felt like he was holding me. And I just want so bad for my daughter to know that I love her and I'm doing what's best for her and I'm not holding out on her. But I thought God was holding out on me. And you know, I, I don't know what's going on in your life, but maybe, maybe as you're sitting here right now, no matter what's going on, whether it's a situation at work, a situation with your family, a situation with your health, but maybe, maybe as you're sitting right here, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is you really believe that, there, that God is withholding something good from you. That's what my daughter believed about me. It's actually what I believed about God. Or maybe, maybe you're hearing it's not that you believe that God is withholding something good from you, but more that he has allowed something That's not fair. That's not just, it seems. And folks, I just want you to know, and I, when we look at this passage of Scripture, I love what it says when it says, verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. You know what that phrase, right there, what that verse says? Sometimes when you think of who's going to faint, who's going to be exhausted, who's going to run out of strength and can't keep going, well, you think, well, that's going to, you know, it's kind of the picture of a race. I mean, who's the ones who can't make it? It's not the young guys. They can all make it. It's going to be the, it's going to be the older folks who can't make it in this race. They're going to run out of strength. They're going to get exhausted. He says, no, the youth faint too. You know, what the, you know what that verse is saying? I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what stage of life you're in. My friend, trials come to all of us. I remember Steve Pettit when I traveled with him, and he had a, a, a he had a huge impact in my life. But I remember, I remember Steve uh, preaching, and he used to make this comment. We'd tease him about it, because uh, but he would say, "Hey, you're you're in one of three situations. You're either right smack dab in the middle of trouble, or maybe you just got out of trouble, or hold on tight because you got trouble right around the corner coming." And folks, the truth of the matter is, God in His sovereign plan, God in His perfect plan. Folks, he layers our life with things that are hard. Last night, we have, we have a, a missions trip in this past week, and we were doing some work with a church up with the Muslim community up in Hamtramck. And last night, we had a, uh, we had a, a it's the end of the week, and the kids are, after the service this morning, they're going home. And uh, we were having a, a campfire and just sharing some testimonies and singing. And a guy, uh, one, one of the, actually one of my interns, just gave a testimony of just how um, he's always, you know, he's he's big guy, strong guy, and uh, a lot of charisma, and um, basically just how how easy it is for him to lean upon his own strength. How easy it is for him to uh, just rely upon himself, and I think his personality, which is awesome, his charisma, his strength, his youth, 
and he just was talking about how God has systematically this summer kicked all of his crutches out from under him. And he said, it's so hard because I want so bad to be so strong, but God just keeps showing me how I'm just so weak. But folks, do you understand? It's a good day when God helps us to see how weak we are. In the midst of my strength, in the midst of this young man running this race, if he never falls, then he never needs God. If he never struggles... God is, God is not just about getting us through this story and safely home to heaven, healthy and happy and beautiful. God is actually very much into getting us safely home to glory, but looking like the King of glory, Jesus Christ Himself. And so in the midst of this race, in the midst of this life, He uh, he does layer things. It's just amazing as I look at my life how he, how he allows enough weaknesses to just keep me humble. He allows enough strengths to keep me going. He allows enough failures to just keep me broken over who I am. Allows enough victories to just keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Folks, he layers our life in so many ways to keep us running this race. As we find in Hebrews chapter number 12, we've got to keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of, this, of our faith, or really this race, considering Him, lest we faint and grow weary. As we come to verse number, verse number 30 and 31, even the youth shall faint and be weary, the young men, those who you expect, will never fall. They're failing. But then it gives us really what our response has got to be. Instead of questioning him and his sovereignty, instead of questioning him and his care and his love, he says, verse number 31, and folks, I don't know about you, but this, this is not an easy phrase. It says, but they, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't really love to wait. The word wait is not one of my favorite words in the English dictionary, or the English vocabulary, I guess that's should say. Um, I mean, we live in a culture who just, man, bring it on, bring it on right now, you know? I mean, I, I have to wait more than two days for Amazon to get it there. I'm irritated, you know what I'm saying? Um, we, we Fast food restaurants, I went to a fast food restaurant. It's actually, it was close to here. Uh, man, I think it was in Ypsilanti. I was, I was going with my son. We were going turkey hunting over, in, uh, over outside of uh, Jackson, and we were coming across, and we stopped at a restaurant, uh, a fast food restaurant. I'm telling you, that place was redefining fast food. There was nobody there. There was nobody in front of me. There was nobody there, and we waited for 20 minutes. We order, and then we look, and I mean, I'm like, look, and there's like nobody in there. I'm like, it's an apocalypse in there. What's going on? Um, we don't like this word. To wait. But he says that we've got to be people who wait. And when I, when it, the word wait, I think there's two times, there's two sides to it. I think on one side, um, uh, it's not, it's, it's not just talking about time, but I do think it is at the same time an element there is of time. It's, 
God doesn't work on our timetable. Um, death comes before we thought. Twenty-four years old seemed too early for Matt to go home. My dear sister, I don't know who you are. We don't understand God's timetable. And there is a time factor that we don't understand. And there is, there is the part of our trusting God that is, is the waiting. Um, the waiting upon him in the midst of the trial. Uh, my children are growing up. They're not little anymore. My oldest is getting ready to turn 16. My next is getting ready to turn 14. And in the midst of parenting, I want so bad to fix my children in different areas of their life. And I can't fix them. There is definitely the time aspect of me waiting upon the Lord. But then this is not just a time aspect. It is also a heart aspect of resting. It's resting upon the Lord. What does it mean to rest? This waiting is talking about a resting. What does it mean to rest upon the Lord? It really means that you take your your struggling hands that are so bent on fixing, you take them off. I'm so bent towards Grab, I'm a fixer. I'm a typical male. I grab a hold of things and I squeeze the ever-living daylights out of them until I fix them. And it's a good day in the life of Aaron Coffee when God gives me things I can't fix. I don't love it. But it's good that starting 15 years ago, almost 16, God has brought four little bodies into my life and I, I, I can't fix them. I've got to wait upon the Lord and I've got to rest upon him resting you know I love to rest I uh, since I hurt my ankle or had to have my ankle fixed uh, the surgery back in May I went eight weeks of being totally no non-load bearing on this foot so I I had to rest way too much I always thought I loved resting but I got so sick and tired of resting um, but I overall in my life I've been a pretty good rester you know I sleep well um, some people really struggle at night. I'm not like that. I, uh, I, I rest. Uh, I, hopefully, I, I think I work hard, and then I, I sleep hard. And I, you know, when I lay down on my bed, I lay there. And folks, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't wrestle. I don't, I don't lay there worrying if that bed's going to hold me up. I lay on it. I want my muscles to just relax. I mean, right now I've got all kinds of muscles working. You have all kinds of muscles working. When I lay on that bed, I don't want any of them work, except my, my involuntaries, my heart, my lungs, you know. I want, but I want to lay there and just relax. Folks, really, what resting is, is when we come to the place where we cease from striving. Pastor read it just a few moments ago. We, we be still. And know that he is God. That he knows he is in control. 
and he cares about our hurting hearts. And if we will rest, we will wait, it says that we will have his strength. Not our strength, his strength with which he made the universe. He'll give it to us. And we can mount up with wings as eagles and fly. We can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not faint. Folks, I don't know about you, but I am forever in need of keeping my eye on him. And ultimately, as I quoted just a moment ago in Hebrews chapter number 12, it's ultimately keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now this passage of scripture, it doesn't mention Jesus. But this book is getting ready to. It's getting ready to introduce the suffering servant. You want to know why you can trust God in the middle of the hurt? Because what more could he do to prove that he loves you? More than the fact that he laid down his own son so that we could be saved. Folks, God has proven his love and his care. May we keep our eyes fixed on that Jesus as we go through this race. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, would you please help us? Would you comfort our hearts? Lord, would you comfort those in this room who are sorrowful? Lord, we struggle as we go through the loss in this life. Our hearts are so heavy. We have so many questions we don't understand. And Lord, as we wrestle sometimes with the doubts and we wrestle sometimes with uh, Lord, the, the, the lies that can, that can sneak in and tempt us. God, I pray that we will go to your word where you have revealed yourself. Lord, you are a God who is in control. And you are a God who faithfully loves us. Oh, God, great is your faithfulness. May we rest in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.